Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit, charitable organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media, sign up for the e-newsletter, and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will soon be live. Enough rambling. Let's get started. So this is a first. This is a first for me, and I'm so excited. And I'm going to say right off to the listeners, the reason why I decided to end the year with this type of episode is because I don't feel like dads get the attention that they need when it comes to raising a type 1 diabetes daughter. I had the pleasure of interviewing one of our guests today in an episode just a little bit ago and his story with his daughter and how he and his wife took the reins of her management was just inspiring for a lack of a better word. And then I had the opportunity to meet the other two guests just over the past couple of weeks. And all of you share a similar story and how you speak about your daughter. So I'm going to let Scott start. You just introduce yourself and your daughter and maybe how long she's lived with type 1 diabetes. Yeah. My name is Scott Kinsel. First, thanks for doing this. It's uh, extremely yeah. valuable for all of the parents to have this information out there, especially new ones like me. My name is Scott Kinsel. I live in Houston, Texas. I'm an entrepreneur. And when I'm not doing that, I'm a photographer. I have three children. I'm married. My daughter, Penelope Poppy, was diagnosed March of this year. Had a similar kind of diagnosis story that I think we've all heard about where, you know, just wasn't feeling well, losing weight and didn't get the right diagnosis, but eventually we figured it out. So yeah, so the last six months has been quite the adventure. We've learned a lot, a whole lot, still learning. Well, we'll get into that too, because you just made some announcements yeah. recently about some of the other things that are going on in Poppy's life, which are very common with type 1 diabetes. So Dan, let's talk about uh, you and your daughter. Sure. Hi, I'm Dan Kendall. I'm also an entrepreneur. I run a <laughs> podcasting business called Mission Based Media. I'm an American, but I'm based in the UK, uh, although almost all of my business is done in the United States. I'm just fortunate to be able to do it uh, while I'm living here with my daughters part-time. It's a share time between uh, their mother and me. My oldest daughter, I have two daughters. My oldest daughter is now 16, and she was diagnosed when she was 11. I've spent 30 years in the healthcare industry, and because of some of my work with uh, a diabetes company, while it didn't prepare me at all for being a parent with di of a child with diabetes, uh, it did teach me some of the warning signs to look out for. So we were able to detect, I was able to, to notice some of the symptoms with my daughter before she went into DKA. So she's been dealing with it for five years, and she's really thriving. That's wonderful. All right, Brooks. Hey, guys. Brooks Ratzliff, I'm in Oklahoma City. And my, my daughter, Hattie, was diagnosed in November of 2020. Kind of similar story to Scott. I didn't feel well for kind of just a weekend, really. I, but I've been noticing her drinking a lot of water and getting up in the middle of the night, drinking water, and, you know, and use the restroom a little bit more. You know, we thought it was something else going on with her. I was taking her to the doctor the next morning, actually, when she went to DKA. I was going to take her in that morning and just we didn't make it there in time. So I ended up in the ER instead. So I don't know if we'd have been misdiagnosed or not. But they knew immediately once we got into the ER, they they knew it was immediately. It said she smelled like ketones. 
you know, all those types of things. So yeah, three years plus living with that. I've now gotten involved with JDRF here locally. Excited about that. I'm on the board there. My wife, Lady, and I ran the gala last year. We're doing it again this year. And on in January, I'll, I'll be going on to Harold Ham's Diabetes Center board to do that as well. So I'm hoping that can connect those two a little bit better and, and, and bring more awareness and, and, and dollars and cents to, <laughs> to, to type 1 diabetes. Brooks, you like jumped in with, I mean, you dove into the diabetes community because you hit the, <laughs> those are two very large organizations. I'm not very good at saying no to anything. Ever, so. <laughs> I will remember that. Mm, yeah, noted. <laughs> well, so I want to talk, I think one of the things I realized when I was working as the associate director for a wellness center for people over the age of 50, that's beside the point, but in hosting community groups and support groups, I learned the hard way that men don't like to talk about their feelings or what's going on. Where women jump in, it's like you can't get them to shut up, right? Are any of you involved in a support group or community group or anything related to diabetes? No, no, I'm not. But for me personally, I feel like I talk about it a lot. And I think think that's that's good for me. Just like, you know, I explain it to people. People don't know what's going on, how it works. Like I didn't either. I didn't, I didn't have any idea what it, you know, what it was. I didn't know anybody growing yeah. up with type 1 diabetes. And so we talk about it a lot. I mean, it's something that it's, it's the forefront and, and I'm, I'm trying to get more involved and, and do other things. That's going to be my coping mechanism, you know, with it that way. Yeah. I would say, Amber, what you described there might be a valid stereotype. If it had happened to me, if I had been given a diagnosis, I probably would have gone real quiet and not talked right. about things. But since it was my child, I went vocal and vulnerable. I let everybody know that I needed help and that even with 30 years in the healthcare industry, having worked with a diabetes glucose company, having been involved in rolling out innovation, rolling out clinical trials for people who have uh, type 1 and type 2 diabetes, I realized that when you bring that condition home into your family, uh, I knew nothing. So I went vocal and vulnerable. And I have to say that nobody in my immediate circle reached out and said, I've got you, my child has type one Mm -hmm. or I have, or my partner does. But uh, at least a dozen people in my immediate circle said, I know somebody who does. And they connected me largely with men, maybe because I am a man, but my male colleagues and some female colleagues and friends put me in touch with other uh, people who spent a lot of time on the phone welcoming me into this community that you never want to be a part of, but you're mm-hmm. glad it's there when you find yourself a member of it. And, and to, your, to your point around the local community, where I live, yes, there is a, an active local community. They meet once a, once a month on a Friday in a local garden center and they have coffee. And I don't go as often any longer as I, as, as I <laughs> did when she was newly diagnosed. She's five years into her diagnosis now, almost uh, six actually, no, five, yeah. But there is a, a good community here nearby that I do take advantage of occasionally. Scott, anything from you? Yeah, nothing, nothing structured, but, you know, again, because we are so new, it's been a, a very selfish thing for me for the last few months. I've just been grabbing resources as quickly and as often as I can and cornering them in a coffee shop and just saying, what about this? What about this? What's going to happen now? And I, you know, I'm starting to pay it forward a little bit because the people I'm talking to, their children have been diagnosed years ago. Now I'm starting to meet with people who have a more recent diagnosis than, than my daughter. And it's so fresh that, you know, I've got all this data that I can share with them and information and, and real world experience. Nothing structured, but it is a lot of, 
a lot of individual coffees uh, with people who've been through it and now with people who are starting to go through it. Well, and I think one of the things that I'm, I'm sure I've said this to each of you individually is like I've learned more from the diabetes community than I ever have in a doctor's office. No offense to the medical community whatsoever, but I had a long conversation yesterday with a gentleman who was diagnosed at age 19. He's on my board of directors and we were just talking about the life struggles and the goals and the things. And he was just like, I'm so angry that I didn't know if I did this or ate this, that it would affect my blood sugar differently. And so we're having that conversation. And again, the medical community might not be able to have that type of conversation. And I think it's one of the things I've learned over four decades is it's all about individual treatment and having a voice, empowering the parent and the patient to ask the right questions. So with that, I will ask if there have been any stumbling blocks or learning curves that you could share through your journey so far that could help a newly diagnosed parent. I can give you one from two nights ago. Uh, (laughs) My daughter has a a service dog, alert dog, and he alerted, woke her up. My daughter is very self-sufficient. She's Mm -hmm. not a very emotional creature. She just does what she needs to do. But she comes into the bedroom and I can just see a little bit of panic. And since her diagnosis, she hasn't been anywhere near 300. And she was at 300. She's currently about six total units of insulin a day. And she had seven units of insulin in her system and was over 300. She had given herself some corrections. Dinner was relatively low carb. It was very confusing. And I wake up and I'm kind of like, you know, you just start thinking like, okay, what are, what's going on here? And I just dawned on me. I was like, you're not getting insulin. For some reason, you're not getting insulin. I don't know what it is, but let's just start over with, with a new pump. And so she pulled the pump off and there was this big, like bubble. Yeah. Under the pump full of insulin. Mm. So I guess that little needle infusion, whatever, didn't get all the way in and kind of turned back out. And so it was just, I was like, okay, that's just one more thing I got to look out for is when the needle doesn't work. So well, it's I was good like, that you, you could problem solve. I mean, that was really brilliant because I think a lot of people have stumbled through that and not realized until it was DKA or something terrible. Yeah. Receiving yeah. The insulin. Well, she, you know, I've, I said this on that last podcast, she's so lean. I think yeah. she hits muscle anywhere she hits her pod. And I said, this next one is going on the back of your hip on your glute whether you like it or not, because I need some fatty tissue <laughs> for this next spot, <laughs> period. So that, that was the most recent learning experience for us. Anybody else? Well, I just I just learned something that, Scott, you just made me look really bad because first time to 300 in six months, I mean, my goodness. That's hard. To, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Just lots of sports. That's really what it is. Lots of sports. Yeah, yeah Poppy's very active. Very active. Yeah. Dan, what about you? Anything? Yeah, I think you just in the early days, you know, it's been five years. So I guess amongst the three of us, my daughter's had type one diabetes the longest. And I think there was just a lot of stigma. Uh, She was 11 years old. Some of the kids at school weren't very nice about it. There was just a huge learning curve that we were climbing. And then we also realized that we had to pass that along to school teachers and Mm -hmm. to swim coaches and parents of friends of hers that wanted to have her over. And there was also, you know, an incident where I took her to a birthday party just a couple of weeks after she'd been diagnosed and the mother, you know, very kindly, but 
was misinformed, brought out a bag as she brought out the cake for her daughter, brought out a bag of carrots for my daughter and said, I know she's been diagnosed with diabetes and she can't have sugar. So I brought her some carrots. And I just remember the look on my daughter's face, like, I'm not a reindeer, you know. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad. Yeah. So there's just a lot of misinformation out there. So as much as we have to do as parents, there's just, you know, it's and it's grandparents and it's babysitters and it's people who, you know, just, oh, so when she's low, (laughs) I give her a shot and then uh, give her (laughs) insulin when she's low. It's like, no, 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 that's not when you give her insulin. (laughs) Please don't. Um, Yeah. yeah. Right. And and then people, you know, (laughs) school teachers and that, that she has one school teacher that wouldn't let her go to the bathroom, you know, and, and she needed to go. And, and yeah. she said that, look, I've got type one diabetes. And the school teacher was like, well, kind of prove it. So there, there's some, there's some barriers that still exist that actually Scott, it sounds like our daughters might be a little bit similar. I mean, she's very self-reliant. She's very stoic. And I think in some ways it sort of teaches her that she has to be able to stand up for herself and, and communicate and, and explain her position and explain what her needs are. I guess that's one of the, the positives that that's teaching her. That's, um, I have learned, um, talking to other people that, uh, type one diabetes can define your character a little bit, especially if you're diagnosed at a young age, because you do have to act as an adult, you're a full-time and that's not a negative necessarily, but I think my strong will and just, I I can make this happen. You got to pivot. And if you teach your daughters that, okay, well, should have hit the fan. So what are you going to do next? With that being said, for, especially for those, are all of your daughters on insulin pumps? Yes. Yes. Okay. So do do your daughters know how to use MDI therapy, multiple daily injections? Should their pump, because I know people that have been in another country, pump went out. What do you do? Right? So you've got to learn how to manage your diabetes. So do your daughters know how to do that? Yes. 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 We probably could use some more practice. We, we've gotten out of practice. And actually, the new year, we're going to go on a closed loop system. So okay. we should probably go and do some practice on those daily <laughs> injections before we go on to a closed loop. Well, that camp that we had talked about, Camp mm-hmm. Sweeney, they really encourage, I don't know what they call it, but a break, basically. They encourage oh, okay. when you go to Sweeney just to take the devices off, which kind of retrains them on MDI. Yeah, we we would camp the same way that Hattie does that for a week. It's off, you know. So that's always nerve wracking when you can't when you can't track her. You don't know yeah. what's going on. But then, you, but then you also got to remember that she's there with like Medical. the best care, so it's fine. People more qualified than you. Yeah, yeah more qualified than me. Yeah, sure. it's like relinquishing control, and that's a great yeah. question. Like I was, I don't have children, so I don't know the level of responsibility. But I've always said that parents of type one children, man, it's way harder, I feel like, than the person living with it, depending on the situation. Do you struggle with letting it go or is it always on your mind? Can you relinquish I mean, I mean, control? I, I mean, I, I'll just be honest. No, it's always my mind. I mean, I'm, you know, people probably think I'm rude, but I, I and it's probably just a crazy habit, but I'm constantly checking what, where she's at all day long. I mean, just, you know, it's just, I have my phone. I'm just doing, I'm just doing this at all times, mm-hmm. you know, not anxiously like I used to, you know, six months in, you know, I was up all night, making sure I'm just, you know, just going through all those emotions of making sure that she wasn't going to die. You know, I mean, basically that's what, what you think at first, you know, right. And is she, am I responsible for it, for not paying attention? You know, it's like, that's, that's how I always felt early, early on. Especially like, you know, probably into where you are, Scott, six months in, I was still kind of that way, but it does get better. And you know, like they're strong, they're strong girls. That's the thing. I mean, very strong. So what are your kids again? 
I, we have five. We're blended. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're crazy. We've got Hattie is walk diagnosed. She's 10. She's almost 11 into this month. I've got, I've got 14, 13, I'm sorry, 13, 12, 10, 10, and eight. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth grade. We've got five of us. So is she a twin? No, she's not. No, my I'm remarried, and, and oh, my, gotcha, gotcha. my new wife has one the same age. Yeah, they're three months apart. They all look the exact same. They're all blonde hair, blue eyes. They, I mean, gotcha. They can pass for the gotcha. same. Yeah, it's got so, your daughter's eight, was it? She, no, she's thirteen. Oh, you're thirteen. thirteen. Okay, yeah, and and mine's sixteen. Do I think about it all the time? Yeah, I I, I think about it a lot because I know she's managing it, and now yeah. she's at a, at an age where she's doing exams that really matter for her future. And she's really trying to apply herself to become the the person, the adult, the young person that she wants to be. And I, I mean, she was actually just interviewing for some schools that she wanted to get into for the next level of, of courses. And I asked her some, some practice questions and I asked her to express a obstacle she had to overcome and she couldn't think of one. And I, I said, well, what about your diabetes? And she said, I always forget about that. And I'm <laughs> glad for that, but I don't forget about it. Uh, like yeah. I always think as she leaves, I think I can get back to, I'm not going to have an alarm go off, you know, it'll go off for her before it goes off for me and I can get on with my day, but she could be doing anything, performing in a, you know, in front of her classmates, taking a test, doing PE, <clears> and it could suddenly be a trigger for her that affects her. But, you know, she's been pretty resilient and hasn't really thought about it as a huge drawback. I want to say as a personal experience growing up over the, you know, like I said, decades, I think about p really important times in my life when I was trying out for cheerleader or, you know, oh, you know, just SAT, ACT. I don't even know if kids take those anymore, but where you are in your mindset, like I would, I ate a Snickers before trying out for ch at my, you know, my cheer stuff. Well, I felt like shit. I mean, I felt terrible. Didn't relate the two. I was just worried that I would be low going into it and the nerves like, the stress of it, the heart beating and all the things like a normal nervous kid, I related to a low blood sugar. So that's how I felt my lows. And so I was like, I'm not going to have that. You know, I'm going to eat this and do that. So I think about that. And with that being said, I mean, I was told always, don't eat any sugar ever. Don't drink after anyone. Don't walk barefoot. I mean, there was just like all these little dumb things. Granted, that was a long time ago. So do you have any hard rules for your daughters when it comes to their diabetes management? Going back to the last question, but the thing that I still, I worry about, and I'd like to hear the, I don't want to hijack the question, but for me, what I worry about is long-term highs now. Mm -hmm. I don't worry about the lows anymore. She's all over the lows. She loves eating that piece of candy. She's on them quickly. <laughs> I worry about sustained highs. That's, and as long as she's under my roof, I'm going to do everything I can to put her into adult life with a really good foundation of consistently low A1C or whatever. But to your question, I guess one rule I have is always confirm a low with a finger stick or a high. Just, I just think it sometimes her, her CGMs are, are a little wacky, especially with soccer and the drastic fall off she experiences post-exercise. I don't like taking corrective action without a finger stick. Noted. I don't think I mean, you know, really the, do. the highs, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm on the same page with the highs. Um, those get harder, I think, for me, because when I'm not with her, she she still doesn't like dance it. She doesn't think she has it. Like she'll walk around. And it's like it's like she doesn't have type one. 
and she'll just walk in and eat something still to this day. <laughs> and all of a sudden she's double arrows up at 250. And I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. You know? And you know, you know, you're not prepared in time to take action, you know, 30 minutes ahead of time or whatever to, to dose. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part, but the highest, so you're hundred percent right. That's, that's my biggest fear is there. And it, and our doctor says it's not correlated, but it is for sure. I know it is. Cause it's like what Amber said early on, you know, we learn more than what they tell us right day to day. And, and this head, it's headaches for her. You know, she gets headaches all the time when she's high and sustained high, especially for a little while. And that, that's, a, that's a driver. So I always try to manage that. So she didn't get a headache, you know, Yeah. but you can't stop a 10 year old that wants to go eat something and, for, and doesn't think they have type one diabetes either. That's what happens to her. Yeah. You know, she just, she, she used to walk around a funny story on her when she was first diagnosed. She didn't really want people to ask her about it. She didn't really want to talk about it. And she didn't, she didn't know how people knew that she had it, you know, here she is. She's like tiny, you know, like same thing, trying to find somewhere to put it on her. She's got this Omnipod sticking off her arm and this thing over here. And I'm like, well, how do you, how do you not think they don't know you have it? Like, <laughs> you know, I think it's like, you're just wearing these for fun, you know? So New but she's better. yeah, but she, she's better about that now. Now she talks about it a lot. So. Yeah, and I don't do, think do I have any uh, hard and fast rules, but uh, I, I guess the the biggest thing is I haven't never wanted her to feel like she's limited because of it. When she got diagnosed, they told her you can't go scuba diving. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there were a few things that they said you won't be able to do. But I've talked to people, and they're like, "No, I went scuba diving. They, they yeah. said I couldn't, and I went and did it." You know, it's yeah. just so I don't want her to feel inhibited. Maybe I've overcorrected. We're all uh, fathers of girls here. And I think I've overcorrected to, for my daughters. I, I'm only raising two kids and they're both girls. And I've, mm. instead of making them feel Ill, equal, I think I've made them feel a little bit superior to men. <laughs> so I figured <laughs> the, world are. Will, the world will bend them <laughs> back into, into the, the range here. But no, she feels perfectly capable to my point earlier about, you know, her, her forgetting that diabetes is a challenge she has to deal with, but it's not one that I forget about. And I like the fact that there are no, I'm not going to say hard rules and that would maybe not have been a fair question, but you know, I, not to eat sugar. Well, I would go to my friend's house and I know Brooksby kind of talked about the love of cereal. We didn't keep any sugar in my house. Like it was, there were no sugary cereals. My sisters, both, both of them hated me, but I would go over to my friend's house and eat like cereal for every meal. And thankfully CGMs didn't exist. So my parents didn't know what I was doing, but then you felt guilty. So then there's the shame. And then if your A1C came back, so there's this whole level of cause and effect. I don't know if that's the right term. With that being said, the mental health weight that type 1 diabetes can put on a person, do you talk to your daughters about the burden because their lives are very different? Yeah. Do you talk about the mental health and how do you approach that? My dad never talked about it with me and that's why I bring we, it up. We, 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 talk, we talk about it some. I could probably say we could probably do a better job of it for sure. You know, and it's, it's like, I just tell her like, you know, hey, if you're on a bad day, you just want to cry, let's just cry. Yeah. It's fine. So. Um, Very important. Yeah. Like yeah. I said earlier, my daughter's fairly stoic. I, I, mm -hmm. I tell her sometimes, as Brooks just mentioned, you know, that it's okay to not be okay and, and to reflect <laughs> on this. And, and just because things are easy now doesn't mean that it, it, it's always going to be easy or that you're always going to think that this isn't a non-issue. Going back to your question about what, you know, if we have any rules, one thing that I heard and it sort of relates to this mental health question was when, when my daughter was diagnosed, someone told me, should try not to make every conversation when they come home from school, how is your mm -hmm. blood sugar today? Or to, to sort of make this a, a, a topic of conversation. 
it was very easy as a concerned parent to sort of go into that, like, how was your mm -hmm. day and how are you, how was your blood sugar? What'd you have for lunch? Whatever. So, uh, I try to make sure it's now a habit. I don't think about it as much anymore, but when she was newly diagnosed and I had that anxiety of sort of like, well, how are things happening and what's going yeah. on to try to make sure, <laughs> no, I don't start the conversation with that, that I talk about her as a person that I talk about the things that she does as a normal kid. And then also to try not to Brooks, you're probably dealing with this with five kids in the house, you know, the sibling issues. I actually, I think my younger daughter had a harder time dealing with the diagnosis than my older daughter did. Because even though I did the thing I just talked about where we didn't bring up, you know, I didn't bring it up as soon as she came home or at every mealtime or whatever, it was a factor. I mean, she did have to, we did have to calculate carbs. We did have to dose for insulin. It was something that we were thinking about and it became a part of the conversation. So I think my younger daughter was concerned about whether she was going to get it. You know, she mm. was concerned about all the, the finger pricking and things like that. And and also, I think there was probably a little bit of jealousy. Actually, I know there was of of the attention that my older daughter was getting. So I had to be very conscious about ensuring that I gave her equal attention so she didn't feel sort of left out. If the whole conversation becomes around diabetes, then it can make her feel left out. That's the way we sort of run it in our home. Yeah, I've been very fortunate with that. We we don't I don't have any of that. I think, you know, two of them were there when she went into DKA and they my oldest son was there when it was all happening. I was actually boarding a plane in Houston, flying back. I was taking her to the doctor the next morning and she just sounded terrible. I mean, she couldn't like panting, like almost like a dog type panting breathing. So my other two kids got to see her go through that. And so I think for them, as far as the jealousy aspect, no, I think they just really genuinely care and just want to like, mm -hmm. you know, make sure she's fine, you know, and my, my oldest tracks her, tracks her blood sugar. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's attached to it, you know, and he'll, he'll text me sometimes. Hey, dad, you know, Hattie's high or, you know, or, you know, I'm like, I know, you know, exactly. yeah, he does that too. So, yeah. My eight-year-old wrote Poppy a letter after her diagnosis of all the things that she could still do. Oh. And it was like, you can be a boxer, you can garden. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I took a picture of it. It's absolutely hilarious. And just the diversity of, uh, of options still available to Poppy yeah. is pretty inspiring that is hilarious uh, gardener yeah. and a boxer i love the creativity there <laughs> but you know i don't know how much money you're going to make with this but <laughs> you think about the, the really challenging part of type one globally or overall in my opinion from a high level is my 13 year old and what she's going through with hormones boys schools friends <sighs> versus what somebody else's 11 year old is going <laughs> through it's like two different species and we, we know a, a girl who was diagnosed who's a little older than my daughter, and she's real into boys. She's kind of further along that path. And so her idea of wearing these devices and becoming all of a sudden different, it wasn't happening. So she won't wear them. She's not really taking her insulin when she's supposed to. So it's kind of like, it's so hard to have a conversation because everybody is on such different footing with their teenagers. I am thankful that Poppy was diagnosed like Brooks, your daughter's 11. I think you said, yeah. So, 11. Yeah. So I'm thankful that Poppy was 13 because she's, she is a little more mature. She's middle school. She, she understands the math and conceptually what's happening and she wants to do the right things. 
so much of, I think of how hard this can or can't be, or could be depends on the age of the child, the stage of the child, what they're into. Are they rebellious? I mean, there's so many variables in play. And I just, I look at my daughter and how she approaches it. And I'm, I'm so thankful she is who she is because I know some other kids and some in my own family (laughs) who, if it had been them, it would be extremely difficult because they are a little more rebellious. So it's just a, so many different factors in how this can impact the family. And funny how all the stories kind of align right there because Hardy's the only one out of my out of the five that could handle it. The other four would not handle it well at all. You know, she's the only one. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that I realized as an adult, I was at a cancer fundraiser a few years back and there was a bunch of friends from high school. One of our friends said, and and she's fine, whatever. And we, they were asking what I did for a living. I was like, well, I'm a writer and a podcast host. And they're like, about what? We know you. Like, what are you, hell are you talking about? And I was like, type one diabetes. And one of the guys said, oh, I forgot. You even had it. And we dated. I mean, this is somebody I dated through high school. And I was like, how, what, what do you mean you forgot? He was like, well, you never talked about it. I never saw anything. You never did anything. And I was like, well, I never purposefully hit it. Granted, we didn't have devices then. You know what I mean? I tested my blood sugar at home. I gave my shot before breakfast, my shot before dinner. And the only time that I can think about it being really public was we were, I was at a winter dance. We're sitting at a nice restaurant and I had to give a shot. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to do this through my tights, you know, like my, my nice dress and just be normal here at the table. And that's the only time I can think about that. When we talk about your daughters and dating, (laughs) nobody wants to talk about it. But let's talk about how do your you- audio just broke up. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> how do you- I got to go. I got to be somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how do you encourage the self-confidence and in, in how they roll out that conversation with having type one and dating? You know, um, if I can go first here, I guess I have the oldest daughter here, but this is one of the <laughs> things that somebody scared the pants off me when, <laughs> when he was one of the people that I did not know who was connected to a mutual friend mm-hmm. and he- shared with me all of his experiences. And he said, you know, his daughter was in her early twenties at the time. My daughter was 11 and his daughter had been diagnosed around the age of 13. And he said, look, you've got a lot in store. You know, 11 is different than 13 and 13 is different than 16 and 16 is different than 18, 18 is different than 22. And one of the things that he sort of warned me about that I haven't quite gotten to is the conversations around whether it's safer to take alcohol or smoke weed. The impact of sex as exercise on yeah. insulin levels, the conversation with roommates or mm-hmm. friends or you know people that she's partying with about the impact of uh, a high or a low, yeah, versus the alcohol uh, that they may be enjoying. So <laughs> there's a lot of additional things. So my daughter goes to a all girls school. She hasn't shown much interest in boys, thankfully, uh, and so we haven't had to have some of those conversations yet. But they're coming, and I. Could use some guidance if you can get another dad on here to talk about how he uh, how they manage that. I'd be open to it. I don't know how many dads would be talking about their daughters and dating and how they chat chit chat about sex, but yeah, I learned it the hard way through a lot of things. Yeah, hard way. Our first, so I think I mentioned this on on our podcast. Probably, Poppy was diagnosed end of March. We roll into summer. I mean, imagine. We're two months into this and we start summer break with bathing suits and birthday cakes and devices. It was a nightmare, but she went to a birthday party at this club and, and some boy just made a really rough comment 
about my daughter. And Poppy could probably break this kid in half if she wanted to, but it just, she was so (laughs) fragile and so unsure of how to even respond or what to say. I mean, it, it was devastating, absolutely devastating for me, for her. So I think we pushed the boy thing back a little bit. (laughs) That that was, (laughs) that was the one positive there. I told my wife, I was, you know, well, it was really challenging because I've never seen her wounded like that. Like mm-hmm. it was worse than the diabetes diagnosis. Just boys are mean. Boys are mean. Terrible. It was Especially awful. And, I, and like I went full. Girls on. are mean too. Yeah, I went Girls dad mode. Like who's the kid and all that stuff. But oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> anyway, I think Poppy's into sports, and so she's she she does. You know, we're kind of talking about cute boys and all that stuff, but we're not anywhere near. <laughs> but she is so kind of out there and competent and playing sports and and the devices are hanging off of her and she'll pull them off and like and like I don't think anybody's viewing it really as a limitation for her in her friend group it's just something she's dealing with so I don't think I've not seen it be a stigma yet with with the boys or anything like that but I'm sure it's something we we need to be aware of but right now it doesn't seem to to be to register as some sort of limitation so Matt, I've got three of the three boys in there in the house, and I just kind of told them if if somebody messes with her, they got full right to do what they need to do, you know. <laughs> so and that's what I told her, and they're like, "Okay, you got it." Teach her how to do it, a, a clean yeah. throat punch. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. defend herself. So. I'm sure. I love that. Well, um, I want to be respectful of all of your time, and it's one of the questions um, that I kind of want to wrap things up with is: We're hearing, and I know a lot of you are involved in JDRF, the cure. The cure is just around the corner. We've been promised that for every five years. I get it. I'm 40 years in. I'm like, where is this damn cure? I'm ready to, to, you know, (laughs) or is it ever going to happen? And now because of what I do, I do see what looks like a cure in different ways. So what does a cure look like to you? And do you have that conversation with your daughter? Because I think there's a lot of, there could be a lot of false hope. And, you know, yeah. So how do you have that conversation? We don't. We don't have, we, we don't have it, you know, and it's just always working on it, you know, we're, we're right. working on it, you know, and that's why, you know, that's why I like to be involved to the things I want her to see that we are working on it, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, I think that's kind of one thing for Hattie that, it, that she, she knows that we are raising money and we are putting in time and effort outside of just mm-hmm. her situation for other people too, you know, for, for a cure, but I'm, but I'm not crazy hopeful right now on that, just to be honest. I like where a lot of things are going as far as, you know, the pre-screening and things like that. But, you know, I, you know, you've seen some, some several different things out there that are give you a little bit of hope, but then it's not, it's, it's not really realistic in the long run right now, in my opinion. Well, and I think about too, and I, br- I bring up that question because now we have closed loop systems and all these things that are supposed to lessen the burden, the pancreas, it's working for you and your pancreas, you know, whatever. But then there's the, we've got the, Isolate cells, you've got all these different things and how, you know, just I, there's so much information out there right now. You know, if you think about the, the, to me, I, I start with the, the money and the money that could be made with synthetic beta cells, mm-hmm. right? For somebody's entire lifetime. So the amount of money that could be made on a, it's not really a cure, it's more of a therapy, a lifelong therapy, I would say. Mm-hmm is tremendous so as long as that's out there there will be people chasing that pot of gold i mean you see it with ozempic right now i mean it just 
the money making opportunities are incredible. I mean, I saw something about st stem cells this morning and I've talked to the people at JDRF here locally in Houston and they're all really confident in something within 10 years. And I know you've heard the five year thing. So I don't, I don't discuss it with Penelope. I'm certainly interested in it, but mm -hmm. what I tell Penelope is, you know, you try to find with your child, you try to find things to be positive about, especially as, as recent as it is for us. And I, you know, I like to tell her that Omnipod that's hanging off her arm or her glute now is the first iPhone. That's, yeah. that's the first iPhone. So she can't, she didn't even know what the first iPhone was, but I was like, imagine 14 versions ago of the iPhone, that's what you're on. So imagine in just that short period of time, what the technology is going to be just to give her some hope in the advancement of at least technology to be less invasive, less intrusive, less bulky yeah. and smarter. So that's, that's how I talk to her about it. For my daughter, she's very interested in science and technology. Mm -hmm. uh, she was diagnosed when she was in uh, grade six, and they had to hold up boards at the end of the, the year and say what they wanted to be when they grew up. And she had several people in her class who wanted to be actors and a lawyer and somebody, a couple of guys wanted to be YouTubers. And she <laughs> held up on her sign that she wanted to be a health tech designer. She's very specific, very pragmatic. Now she's <laughs> since has changed that. So she didn't change it to just designer back then, but now she's very interested in science. And we don't really talk about a cure so much as we talk about making diabetes more manageable. And and I, similar to what you were just saying, Scott, in terms of the first iPhone, we talk about the, the difference in technology and how fortunate we are to have the technology access that we do today. And the fact that some people and a lot of people don't have access to this and, and mm -hmm. developing your neighbors, a lot of people we know that, that mm -hmm. don't either choose not to use it or simply can't afford it or can't, can't access it for a variety of reasons. Some people may not even be aware that some of these things are options. So okay. I think it's important, you know, that's, that's something we do talk about is access mm -hmm. to treatment, access to therapies, because my heart breaks for, for parents that would want a Dexcom or a pump mm -hmm. and can't access it. When my daughter was diagnosed, I knew enough about diabetes that I knew about this company in San Diego that had made this CGM, a company that I'd worked for, had partnered with them on a solution at one point. And I, within 24 hours, I'd ordered that. Yeah. Um, and when I talked to her mom about it, she said, well, you know, I, I don't know that we necessarily would need that right away. Well, within two weeks, we realized we need we that. Needed it. But so there are some people who may not know these things exist or may not be able to access them. And then that just really has me concerned for all the people who are spending all the sleepless nights and all the other mm -hmm. health implications that has for the child and the parents who are waking up at one o'clock and four o'clock in the morning and taking these finger sticks and, and trying to see that their child's okay. Whereas I can just look at a phone and, and see that she's yeah. okay. I want to say something to that. And we, this will be my last question, hopefully, is when we I was laughing internally about your daughter, Dan, wanting to be a health tech, something. And then Scott, your daughter, possibly being a boxer or a gardener. <laughs> and just like, and I say, say that. If she chooses boxing, I will step in. Is that, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I only had like a couple of real jobs. And I, my parents have always supported me in whatever was necessary in order for me to be the person that I wanted to be. So when you think about your daughter's future, are you going to encourage, I'm going to say a real job so that you have the security of insurance? 
I guess yeah. like we're all, I guess we're all self-employed here. I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, <laughs> I, mean, if, I guess if they, if they watch us, probably not. They'll probably want to do something <laughs> on their own. Right. You're encouraging being an entrepreneur, you which know. I totally respect and appreciate. Anybody else? Pop, Poppy's endo and his two nurses all have type one. Oh. So she has pivoted 100% from yeah. being a teacher to being either a nurse or a doctor, because she, I think she wants to pay it forward a little bit. No, that's great. Yeah, I haven't tried to steer her in any direction. I just want her to look at all the different possibilities that are out there. And the bottom line is, I mean, she wanted to be a lawyer. A lawyer was one of the things that she wanted to be just six months ago. But then as she learned more about AI, she said, actually, I don't think I want to go into law. You know, there could be, uh, and heck, I'm a, I run a podcast company and I studied mechanical engineering. You know, <laughs> yeah. who knows what you're going to end up doing. So I think the most important thing is that she has a lot of experiences, tries a lot of things learns a lot and then chooses her path and and hopefully the insurance and insulin will take care it will be available be affordable and available yep yep Yep. amber can i ask you a question real fast absolutely did y'all screen your other children i know that's a very personal question don't answer if you don't want to i'm about to yeah, okay. I, I, I ordered. I ordered it. I got to order. It's a pain in the butt. You also need to go through all the information, especially for four kids. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's about an hour and a half to do. But from so Barbara Davis in Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where that's where I've got up. They're on order. I am going to do that. Yes, for everybody. Okay. Just, just to know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, see where we uh, are. Yeah, I, I would love any advice on that because I have one other daughter, a younger daughter who's 13, and I think it'd be prudent to have her screened. Mm-hmm. But I, frankly, I don't even know how to get started. So you, you mm-hmm. can go to it's, it's, it's ask. I think you, Amber, you can send it to him, can't you? Yeah, I can send it. Yeah. And there's a therapy now. The reason mm-hmm. I started looking at it is there is a therapy that I've heard will prolong. T-Zield. T-Zield, yeah. 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 So yep. Sanofi acquired the company that, that has that available. And, right. And that's the exact reason to have it. That pre-screen. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If Added you can lovely. get an extra two years, uh, you know, without yeah. having type one diabetes mm-hmm. full onset. Yeah. Hey, Scott, they, they have some next data. It's like they had like 33,000. The one, the one call I saw I was on is like 33,000 test cases or whatever on it. And only 4% wow. of the people went into DKA. So they were they've, wow. they're completely reducing you know, that by having the information available um, okay. at hand to know how to slowly start working insulin in. Well, and Dan, I don't know if this is available in outside of the United States, but TrialNet is also an organization and they have facilities all over, I want to say the world, to where you can go in and have blood drawn and they can see the, the markers or whatever it is. And I will say that I met with Sanofi, <laughs> their team recently, and there'll be a lot of things to discuss about that. But I think that what we've all kind of talked about is access, availability, affordable, everything being affordable. Because as you know, if we catch these things early on, long-term complications are reduced immensely. I read an article this morning that was about all the different, they're finally putting out research that is, I don't know, published by the right people stating that type 1 diabetes has like five different ways that we're now looking at how you get it. And now with COVID, that's a whole other layer in how they're now tracking the increase. So I'm happy to, I'll send you all that article because I found it very fascinating because I have no family history. Does anybody here have a family history of type one? No. no. Right. You I know, think we can, I'm, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
I, I think we can pinpoint ours to COVID. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, man, that hurts my soul. Um, and I was sick as a kid. I had pneumonia a couple of times. And now they're talking about your gut biome and all the things. And I was just like, I'm so glad we're having these conversations. Because I think that gives people a larger view as to what type 1 diabetes is. And it's not something that you, yeah, the genetics, it just blows my mind. I'm like, I read that this morning and I was blown away. So I'll wrap it up with that unless anybody has anything at the end to say about your life as a parent of a type 1 diabetes daughter. I'll say to these two dads, I know how your daughters look up to you. It's a different feeling. I have boys. And, but the way your daughter looks at you is different and you always have to be strong for your daughters. And I know how hard that is. So the fact that you've been doing it for so long is awesome. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's, uh, I would say to anybody, like I was saying earlier about being welcome to the community that you never want to be a part of, but you're glad it's there when you get drafted into it. You know, is I would encourage anybody to reach out. Uh, like I said, mm-hmm. if it's something that had happened to me, a health concern that I had, I probably would have just been real quiet about it. But I went vocal and vulnerable, and and that made all the difference. So to your point, Amber, earlier, my healthcare team or my daughter's healthcare team has been fantastic for her. But there's just a limit of what they're able to do, and it's that mm-hmm. peer-to-peer input about that early stage to understand. You know, that I'm not ready to to learn about how to run a triathlon or how to bolus for a pizza. Like, I just want to get my daughter home and get her back to school safely and get her, you know, to a <laughs> class trip in case she takes swim lessons again. And what about the, the, the sleepover? So learning from other people, reaching out. And, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that my network responded. And hopefully everyone who experiences this can find someone or a group of people that they can latch into to learn from. And if it's okay, I'm a, if you, well, we can talk about this later, but I'd like to put it, ways people can contact you when they listen to this. Because again, the reason why I do the Real Life Diabetes podcast is all about connectivity um, and bringing people together, obviously, who walk a walk, have walked a day in your shoes. Well, thank you all so much. Like this is the first one of many episodes, hopefully, whenever we can bring people together and have a conversation and yeah, learn from one another. Thanks for organizing, Amber. Amber. Great to meet you. Thanks, Amber. Guys, nice to meet you guys. Yeah. As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diapeeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone.